Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, Lumpin' Radio spoke with a man who spent 21 years in death row, talked to the director of a new black comedy, and chatted economics with a leading expert. All this plus the Trump Diaries and much more, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for August 10th, 2018. Hitting Left spoke to Ronald Kitchens, a man who served 21 years on death row as a victim of a forced confession and torture by corrupt cop John Burge. Kitchens discussed prison reform, his experience on death row, and how his case changed Illinois forever. Hitting Left with the Klonsky Brothers airs every Friday at 11. Uh, but you were your survivor of uh, Bird, Bird, uh, John Burge, John Burge. John Burge. torture yeah. campaign. Yes, you, went, you remember the name good, uh, quite well. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, uh, you know, what's ironic is that uh, I was going to ask you how you feel about coming to Bridgeport, the new Bridgeport. I know in your book you you have Mitchell some things old to say Bridgeport. about Bridgeport. Yeah. This is where John Burge uh, lived. John Burge, Mayor Daly, I'll stay right there, uh, right down the street from the old police station on 35th and Low. Yeah, so you're you're a Chicagoan. Wow. Yes, and, yeah. Born and raised. Whereabouts? Born in the projects. Robert Taylor. Robert right? Taylor home. Yeah. When I say in the projects, I mean literally in the projects. 1005-4444. Inside the projects, in the back bedroom. And yeah. they're gone now. I'm gone. No, they're gone. Oh, the project's gone, yes. yes. They've been gone what, since uh, the gangster and tore them all went, down. Yeah. Mayor Daly. Yeah. Yes. And you went <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, Around like so right? So you okay yeah. uh, in, in, with the new Bridgeport coming up here? Because I know the cop didn't the cops used to drop you off here when you were a, a young uh, well, young kid. They would catch us. They would catch us outside, and uh, it was that uh, what they call it that that over there, like on thirty third and Halsey, where they had the big old hole at uh-huh. before they packed yeah. it all in. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The curry, the curry, whatever they call it. And so they used to drop us off right there, and they used to get out. I don't know if I can say the word they used to use. Probably not. Okay, so I'm not going to say that. So <laughs> You just say N. N. They say the N word. Then you got all the little white guys run out and used to chase us. And the, and the cops used to tell us, I don't want to see you catching a bus. So the thing we have to do, we have to run towards the projects. So we know if we get towards a federal. A mile, mile and a half. Right. Uh, uh, nonstop yeah, running. So yeah. we break the, yeah. going east to the projects. So I know we get to the expressway, get up under the bridge, we're safe. But the majority of the time, a lot of the times, they'll keep running. They keep chasing us if they're in cars and stuff. So we just had to deal with a lot of stuff back in the day. Yeah. Well, Mayor Daly, right? Uh, he, he, the original Mayor Daly, uh, he built the Dan Ryan Expressway pretty much as a wall between the projects and right. uh, and uh, and the rest of the you know, of you the know, white south side. That's, you know, yeah. you know, keep keep it like this between blacks and whites. You know, yeah. mm. so he wanted to keep keep that separated. So briefly recount recount for us. So you got you get picked up by the you get picked up by the. Uh, to serve and protect CPD, and they no, take you say. down. They take you down to the station briefly. So what happened then? What year? So, for so when? This when, is in when 1988. We talk about 1988 now, right? Yeah. yeah. Now we're talking, talking about your about arrest that led arrest. you right. to the false conviction. So um, I got picked up for a auto theft. You know, I, I never stole a car. Never stole a car day in my life. So when, so when they. Uh, announced that I was being arrested for, or questioned for auto theft. My mom, my 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 grandmother, my aunts, they all come down. Even my my kid's mom, they come down to the corner where I was at. So they tell me he'd be back in forty five minutes. So we go from having being picked up for auto theft to going down to Third Knife, California. I mean, uh, Third Knife and Persian Road, 
for uh, 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 five murders. So we go from being arrested or same question for for that to end up being charged with five murders. When you know somebody asked me, somebody said, you know, uh, um, why would an innocent man confess to something that he didn't do? Well, I think if anybody have their defense mechanism taken away from them, meaning if you hog tied, if you got your hands tied behind your back, and you have no means of defending yourself, you're gonna do what you have to do to survive. What were some of the things they did to you? I was. Um, I hate to have you recount that horrible yeah. night. I was. Uh, I was kicked, punched, stumped, uh, slapped with telephone books. Uh, had Officer Kill come to the room and put a, actually put a telephone book Officer on my Michael head. Officer Michael, Michael, Detective Kiel. Michael Kill, after yes. named. Yeah. Yes. Actually put a wow. telephone book on my head and used his black his blackjack this nightstick and just whammed it. And then the same officer had me stand up on the wall, still handcuffed to a hoop in the wall, put that very same nightstick between my legs and literally licked me off my feet with the grinding of my testicles. <laughs> so when, when you're going through things like this and when, you, when you're going through turmoil like this, and you have to say, okay, uh, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to... You know, I, I give them what they want. Just make them stop, yeah. You know, that's I'm I'm have to because they they're gonna kill me one way or the other. So, you know, I'm you know, back then I'm I'm young. I'd had encounters with the police officers, but I never had encounters like this. So if you did something wrong, I expect you to do what you have to do to correct that. Yeah. And all this time, did you did you actually uh, ever face John Burge? Was he ever in the room? John Burge came he came uh before the, the the beating with the telephone books and the nightstick. John, I seen John Burge once. That's when he jumped on. This you know this this man was probably like three hundred some pounds. Hmm. But at the time, I didn't know who he was because, like I said, he had a white he had his white shirt on, but his name tag was not on his white shirt. But so it was I, more than Burge. He had his midnight crew, right? Yeah, this this was this midnight crew. This was this was they. This is what they do. Hmm. So. Um, he come in, him and Mike Kill come in together. And like I say, this man got up on the uh, got up on the desk and stumped me out the chair. Still handcuffed to the wall. So my hands is behind my back, and he's literally stumping me in my back out the chair. So that was my first and last encounter with John Burge. And then they had a then they had a jailhouse confession, right? That also contributed to Well, it wasn't a jailhouse confession. It was a jailhouse snitch who snitch. by the golden That's name right. of Willie Williams. This is what he did, you know, and then we find out through the through a uh, uh um through the civil suit that this guy was a known paid informant for Chicago Police Department. And he later admitted that he lied, right? He he the whole the whole thing, he uh, admitted that he he lied. At the beginning, when he said that he got all the information that he got, he got it from the newspaper. What? Yeah, yeah so everything that he used and said, he said he got it from the newspaper. But then, you know, then he said he called, he said he called my house, collect. He was in the penitentiary. He said he called my house, collect, and I bragged him over the phones. So now they didn't got my phones tapped for over a month. Overseas, nothing ever came about. 
But the thing is, his story was more plausible to my story because why? They, they wanted to clean it up. They done beat the hell out of me. So now, it, it, no matter what has been said, we have to be charged now. So it took them 21 years to get it together. Yeah. So 21, you did, year, 21 years in the state penitentiary. And you were not... Not just not, not just the state penitentiary. I did 13 years on death row. On death row. And you were not mm. the only death row uh, uh, victim. No, uh, none of John Brace. That's You know, we formed a group... Uh, Stanley Howard and myself, one group called the Death Row Ten. The Death Row Ten was a bunch of guys that we used to have like mock trials. The the uh, the captain of the unit, the Death Unit, the, the Death Row Unit that we was on, he allowed us to have law classes. We had law classes uh, twice a week, Tuesdays and Saturdays. He let us have law classes twice a week. So in these law classes, we used to have mock trials. You know, we had guys being the police officers, guys being the judges, the state attorney, uh, regular attorneys. So by doing this, we've seen that a lot of the issues that I had and Stanley Howard had, a lot of the, the same guys had, like Leroy Orange, uh, uh, Aaron Patterson, Madison Hobley, Leonard Kidd, you know, and the, and the list go on and on and on, had this same pattern and the same police officers that was involved. So Stanley say, you know, let's now let's put something together and let's put not just our names out there, but let's put faces to our names. Well we talked about last week that that not only did you were did that group exist, but that in fact Cook County is the false confession capital of the entire United States. That the that the more 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 false confessions have been have been produced out of uh, out of Cook County. Than anywhere. Well, I think 118 or something like that. 118. People have come forward. Yes, right. Uh, former prisoners or. And then we still had like got a hundred some guys still in prisons that are still in prison under under the John Bird Act. See, and, and John Bird never got uh, never got uh, convicted of anything. Well, he got convicted of perjury. Of perjury. Perjury. Yeah. Oh wow. So Damn. we don't. We got a man that say he's his job is to serve and protect to. A uh, uh, fight for the the ones that cannot be fought for, but this is the same man. But in my eyes, should have been charged with premeditated murder or murder, because anytime you get an innocent man or innocent woman and you make them confess to something, so you put them under duress, and you make them confess to a crime they didn't do, and they end up on death row, they end up in the penitentiary for the rest of their life. So now you should be charged with the same charge you gave me in the beginning. You know what I mean? <laughs> If you want to say, exactly right. if, for real, if you want to yeah. say, you know, we always talk about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But truthfully, I want John Burge to feel what I felt when I got 21 years taken from me. Now, at that time, uh, uh, Mayor Daly, yes. younger Daly, mm-hmm. he was the uh, state's attorney. He was the state's that. attorney. And what was his role in all this, from what you know? Well, don't get me wrong. And don't get him wrong neither. My thing is, if you are a prosecutor, you're the head prosecutor, and you see that they have literally no case against the person who they say they have to uh, build this case on, your whole your whole case is based around Willie Rims and a false confession that you have snatched from me. That's the whole case. Something should be said, something should be done, done about it. But instead, no, they went for it. And he was never questioned. Uh, Daly was never uh, 
Uh, well, every time, every time they bring, he was never interrogated they, about his role. Every time they 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 try to bring the old Marion to speak to him, he falls under the sick act. You know what I mean? You know, it just reminds me of when they try and uh, like, bring these old mafia guys oh, right. uh, to, yeah. to prison, and they walk around in a, in a bathrobe and, right. and stuff, like they don't so, went crazy. So now, so now we have a mayor who's walking, <laughs> right. essentially, walk he's walking around in his bathrobe, saying he's too sick he's too to testify. Too sick to come to so we're, testify. We're running short on time, so bring us up to date. So you've, you, 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 uh, you, uh, and another victim sued the. Yeah, Marvin Reese. He was my co-defendant. Reese. Yeah. So we 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 walked in together and we walked out together. So we sued the city of Chicago, and and people always you know people want to know have you know it does that bring you closure? No, it can't never bring me cl- closure. I mean, it can make me live a, a a good life, you know, but it can't make me. Can I be happy? No, because when I look at my sons, my sons, uh, thirty two and twenty nine. They're going to be 30 this year and 33. When I look at them and I see everything that was taken from them. They didn't have you for 21 years. For real. So I didn't teach my sons how to, you know, how to read. I didn't There's go to, no I didn't way take to reimburse to school. you for that. So yeah. all the stuff that was dear to Mayor Daly, John Burge, Michael Kill, they took from you. Smith, yeah. Dowling, Dowling, they took from me. They was going home with their families. They slept in their bed with their women. They ate food at their tables with their families. Me? I'm eating food out of a, a out of a milk cart in a penitentiary. I'm warming my I'm warming my meals up with a stinger in a bowl. It's hard so to imagine with 13 hard. years on death row. 13 years on death row, yeah. and I had two execution dates. Let's not forget that. Hmm. Two execution dates. I seen seven men get walked to their deaths on death row, and and I give all respect to Governor Ryan. Yeah, you know. Explain. When I say I give him. All respect because Governor Ryan, a Republican governor, who, a Republican who governor who that fought the for the he was, yeah. he uh, was and he did what sense. he was for the death penalty. But when he got in office, he committed one murder under his act, and that was Cocalaris. And when he did that, he said under no good conscience he would ever do this again. So what did he do? He cleared the death. He cleared death row. He commuted everybody sentenced to natural life. He put a commentation on the death penalty. And he freed four guys. So when you when I think about him, I give him all praises because God touched his heart to make him do what he did. And then what they do to him, they sent him to the penitentiary because he went against the grain. Right. Yeah. And but uh, that was, a, but there was never, an, there has never been an execution in Illinois since. After that, the the death penalty has been abolished. And you're still here, man. And I'm still here. <laughs> She started to wonder When the current of the current day Will start to pull her under As we walked along this path And the sky woke up in thunder Said maybe that's our nature from the service entrance spoke with L. Arthur Bay, the director of the Dark Comedy, 
Dr. Ben Crazy, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Seedless Watermelon. Bay spoke about the power of satire, the watermelon as metaphor, and art in the age of Trump. News from the Service Entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. This movie, <laughs> Dr. Ben Crazy, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Seedless Watermelon, if you get a chance to see it, I strongly suggest that you do strong social commentary about what's happening now. It is a dark comedy in the truest sense of the word. Dark comedy. It's filmed in black and white. They're basically in the dark. It is amazing. You got to see it. I have the director of the film on the phone with me right now. My brother, my man, L. Arthur Bay. Good afternoon, sir. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, very humbled uh, to be here, sir. It is an amazing uh, flick, brother. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. You're an amazing brother. Let me just say, because I, I just wanted to preface this to be like I go back to you when you were doing the poetry at the, at the uh, what was it called, the lit? Yeah, lit X. Yes, lit X with the with the wicked chair and, <laughs> and brother. You've always been you've always been amazing. Uh, you know, one of the amazing impresarios of the airwaves. So it just. I feel really humble right now. Appreciate it, man. Much appreciated. So this this movie, I'm a I must say, I am I guess I I could say a lot of people don't know this. I'm a big Kubrick fan. Like I like yeah. his movies. I always have. I like this this style of of the the photography in them, the dialogue, and Doctor Strange Glove, Doctor Strange Love rather is like in my top three of movies. And oh. when when I looked at Doctor Ben Crazy. And I, I saw the homage being paid, but I listened more to what was being said. You you have a, a very, I mean, th this time period we live in is perfect for something like this. And that th this is a very uncertain, anybody might pop off and start it or set it off kind of moment we're in. Um, what, made you, what made you decide this was the vehicle you wanted to use to say to, or to speak to this current condition? Well, I first have to say, I think I, um, with my wife, when we had our child, uh, Sarita, my wife, shout out child out right now, but uh, when we had our child, we, we, we vowed to not repeat what was taught to us as far as our eating habits. So we vowed to not eat meat again. So that type of philosophy bled over into my creativity and I began to uh, follow the teachings of Dr. Sebi. And one of his main things was, if it's seedless, don't eat it. And once I started to investigate um, the, the theory, uh, mostly seedless things are made with starch. And they're gen you know, genetically modified organisms, so you're not really getting all of the nutrients out of it. And when I further studied the thought of medicine, I further uh, understood that John D. Rockefeller, uh, from my understanding, from my study, that he uh, corrupted the idea that uh, natural cures to diseases was the way and started to monetize um, the medicine industry. And what we have today, you know, is what they've doctored. And what we've understood it to be is it's been crazy. And, like, we could be on that conscious side of thinking or we could just learn to appreciate eating seedless watermelon. <laughs> and for the most part, like, the, the reverend on the uh, saying uh, Trump is, the, you know, 
pro-black president that he's ever, that is a seedless watermelon. Indeed. <laughs> you know, they're feeding off of nothing. So Indeed. That, 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 that brought the whole thing about because um, the watermelon comes from Africa, comes from Botswana, actually, and it was uh, birthed in the Kalahari Desert. And then it goes on further to think that how did they build the pyramids in the desert that didn't have any water out there? Well, they had watermelon. And watermelon had seeds in them. I mean, it, I could go on and on about this, but to tie it into the today, I had saw an interview with Ryan Coogler, and when he was filming Black Panther, he said he was with a nation there in one of the countries, and they were treating watermelon like gold. And he was dumbfounded by it because of how we neglect the watermelon here. And she was saying to him, how could you neglect what is the most important thing? You know, watermelon is 93% water. Then when I further studied the black seeds that were in them help prevent cancer. So it made me think, why would they remove black seeds if they help your body? But then I went further into studying, uh, and uh, prior to Jim Crow, during the Civil War, when we were freed, uh, so-called freed, we took cultivation from Africa, and we were planting our food, and we were at one point self-sufficient off the watermelon. Jim Crow came into effect, and we were taken out of that. So in effect, we were then removed, like black seeds, from the economy of the watermelon. We were self-sufficient. We were eating it. We were selling it. We were doing good with it. Some other folks didn't agree with that. And so now you have the metaphor today of it being seedless and people not aware that it's not good for you, that it's just a manufactured thing to keep you filled, just like the democracy that we're dealing with today, so on and so forth. So I had to uh, come up with a film that was surreal in nature, but it still makes social points like Dr. Strangelove, and it was just a, the best time to do it because of the man who's in office now that's just making, you know, leaps and bounds in a, in a comical sort of way, but in, in real life. Tell me a little bit about Andre, the gentleman who played uh, General Colin Bowell. <laughs> Andre, I met Andre about uh, eight years ago on uh, the TV show uh, Chicago Code, and we were working behind the camera as PAs. And as soon as I met him, I was like, dude, we've got to work together because you look just like Colin Powell. <laughs> and of course, it was, you know, it, was, it was resounding. It was resounding. People were like, oh, my God, you know. So, I mean, I just over time, attrition, you know, it just kept building. And then at one moment, I was able to get it, and... You know, um, I had to tie it into it. The number one killer of black people is not guns, it's not violence, it's the way we eat. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason why I gave the general the name Colin Powell. Mm. You know, it's similar to Colin Powell. Right. He's trying to end the world. You know, and I mean, I, I know I can't, you know, but he's full of, you know what I mean? He's full of, right. you know what I mean? Right. Right now, so he can't. You know, and he's trying to get it out. And that's basically where we're at because I'm, I'm going to too many wakes and too many funerals of young men dying that look like me, that die in their 40s and their 30s, and this man with a heart disease, liver, cancer, this, that, and the third. And it mainly could have been, been prevented had they known, you know, 
Um, I I also am intrigued by, uh, and I don't. I'm, I really want people to try to get get the moment to check out this movie. It's 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 you got to see it. Um, the your character, um, mm-hmm. and and by the way, shout out to to your your crew. And there, there's yeah, a there's no a doubt. there's a part of the movie. Most of those cats I know, and 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 women. There's a part yeah. in the movie where you're on Facebook Live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was it? Did, yeah. did like people jump in going, "Are you okay?" Because I saw some of that. <laughs> did you well, have you to? Know, I mean, you know, I'm not not wanting to let the cat out the bag. You know what I mean? Because I want people to go and see it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was mainly a ploy to uh, gain interest. Uh, for my GoFundMe because, wow. you know, I was trying to find a hustle. And it ran for a year. You know, like I, 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 I filmed the Facebook Live July 3rd, 2017, and I just kept repeating it as if it was an urgent message from this captain, like this is a real thing. But And I wanted to emphasize that the reason why I was saying that because we're so uh, just, uh, we're so... So I can't think of the word right now, but we're so just kind of drained from, you know, the Facebook Live. We'll see killings and we'll think nothing of it. It'll just go, you know, right through us. And so I just wanted to emphasize that because the captain has the fate of the world in his hand as he's trying to alert us. And we're like, uh, whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's basically where we are when we see people dying, you know, because we, they made it commonplace. Um, I, I also... Am intrigued by what your next uh, point of entry in terms of getting your message out to people is is going to be. Have you have you one? I know it's probably hard to to jump right into another movie, but well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a few things. Um, you know, I mean, since I'm here on the airways, I put it in the atmosphere. You know, because you know how the universe works. Um, but a few things. Um, I would like to start a TV show that's a black. Twilight Zone called Pear Shape, hmm. and I'll get and I'll get to that you know later on because we have we have to have more time for that. But I just think that at this time, um, people outside of our race are truly intrigued by who we are and understanding, trying to understand why we're crying out. So I'm like, maybe we should give them more perspectives of looking in, and also introspectives of our own race looking in to see exactly how Pear Shape could be you know, in America, or on the planet, period, being black. Right. So, and that was one perspective. The other wish list is is that I would make Dr. Ben Crazy a feature, and I would get Donald Glover to play my character. Mm. And if you're familiar with Strange Love, I would have him play all of Peter Sellers' characters. <laughs> that would be yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be exactly. interesting. So, <laughs> so there's, there's things out there. So, you know, I'm just, but the other thing is I'm, I'm writing a book called See with Watermelon Syndrome because I need to address all of this in a way that we can uh, begin to approach um, remedying this because I want to emphasize America is becoming that because when you're banning, as, you know, as, you know, Islamophobia, you're bordering Mexicans, you're uh, policing black folks. It's a form of seedless watermelon syndrome. <laughs> Today I'm meeting Kyle in a gas station bathroom. It's me. Come on in. 
Kyle, what the hell? Where did all this hair come this from? This episode is an instructional guide to Bridgeport manscaping. This is all of your hair? Summertime is a muggy hot mess, John. Not only can less body hair reduce heat, it can also alleviate stress. Kyle, leave the rope. Come on. You're so, you're so afraid of you're so you're so afraid of my naked body, it's hilarious. No, it's not necessary. You don't have to actually go through with it. You could just explain it, and I could add sound effects and stuff later. It's no big deal. Come on, look at my taut, shiny new calves. Please don't bend over. So taut. Taut is the <sighs> word you're looking for, John. Look at that. Okay, here's the mic. Just say what you have to say so I can be done with it. Actually, I was curious if you could shave my back. How is that going to be informative to our listeners? Uh, um, it's, it's important to use the buddy system... When shaving your back. You tricked me. You used our show to trick me into shaving your back. Yes, that's mostly entirely true. All right? Only the back. That's it. Here, here's a razor. Just... Okay. Yeah, okay. Pretty standard stuff. Okay. Kyle, Kyle, come on, man. I have to straddle the toilet. Uh, How else are we going to do this? You can stand. I sit. All right, whatever. What, what do I do? All right, start from the tramp stamp and work your way up, but don't go against the grain. Wait, how have I not noticed? You have a tramp stamp? I was an early adopter. I was convinced <laughs> it would catch on. <laughs> Looks like a Lord of the Rings Grateful Dead theme, kind of. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Just shave my back, please. <laughs> this is so messed up. I see you already shaved the shoulders. They don't grow no hair. Your shoulders have a receding hairline? Yes, actually, there's a curse upon my shoulder. Ah! What? What'd you do? Ah, ah, I got a hair in my you eye. Didn't ah, you didn't break my razor, pointy, did you? Man. Ah, one sec. We're good. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I spent a couple years trying to get... Ah, you relax. Bag just, of ding okay, dong. Relax, relax, Ow. don't move. Oh. Your hair is caught in the teeth of the razor. I know it's in my hair. I can feel it. Be still. Oh. Be still so ah. I can just... Ow. Oh. What's oh, going just... on in there? Occupied. Yeah. Occupado. It's of all the places you choose a gas station bathroom I used to, to go do out. This. I used to go out to Mr. Submarine, but they got all sideways on us, and what's the name? Had to kick what's the other chicken, the taco, and then it was a big mess. It's a long story. I don't want to talk about it. What? More people are into this than you think. Now answer the door. What are you talking about? What's going on in there is the password, dummy. Are you... May I, may I help you? Come to get a shave there, Captain. Wait, Kyle, did you... Let him in, Petrowski. What's up, Kyle? Pee-pee, long time no see see. buddy with the killer shaving skills? No freaking way, guys. I am not shaving anybody's anything, okay? Hey, Kyle, you said he was a body barber. Of course he is. Just look at the line he gets on that beard. He do it himself? Hey, come on. I'm right here, and yes, I do it myself. Think you can shape my blotchy back? He's got that redneck road pattern, so you gotta take it easy on him. When I should lay my paper towel rolls down, I don't want to cube up your sleeping pad. Uh, and I'd like to save my paper towel roll if I can. It's kind of my pillow. Okay, where do you want me to start? The beginning. What's going on in there? you got to be kidding me. Take a number, home slice. This week on the Trump Diaries, Paul Manafort's trial continues. Trump admits a meeting with a Russian agent was to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. Alex Jones is ousted. LeBron is trashed. And is Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross a grifter? These are the Trump Diaries. Day 560, August 2nd. 
Special Counsel Robert Mueller offered to reduce the number of obstruction of justice-related questions his team wants to ask Trump. Negotiations over an interview have been ongoing since spring. Trump is apparently still eager to sit for that interview despite multiple warnings from his lawyers. The Trump administration plans to roll back Obama-era fuel efficiency and safety standards on new cars, claiming that the standards make cars unsafe. The Obama-era policy was intended to combat global warming. Also, data shows that the standards would actually reduce traffic fatalities annually by a small amount. Trump's plan would also revoke a waiver granted to California and 13 other states. That plan is met with an unusual coalition of opposition that includes the automakers themselves. Should the plan be enacted as written, the American auto market would effectively be cleaved in two. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Trump's executive order to withhold federal funding from so-called sanctuary cities is unconstitutional. The case continues as it now moves back to the district court. Chicago and other cities are seeking to have Trump's order struck down nationwide. Trump claimed at a Florida rally that you need photo ID to buy groceries at supermarkets. The obviously false claim was his attempt to instate voter ID laws, which are seen by Republicans as a way to depress low-income and Hispanic votes, which typically lean Democrat. Trump claimed, you go out and you want to buy anything, you need ID and you need your picture. This is obviously false. Ivanka Trump called Trump's zero-tolerance policy of separating families at the border a low point. Ivanka notably remained silent on the policy when it was enacted in June. Ivanka added she didn't think the press was the enemy of the people. Day 561, August 3rd. Dan Coats told Congress Russia is behind a constant, continuing effort to interfere in Western elections. Several high-profile senators have recently been the targets of hacking attacks, but the Republican-controlled Congress has declined to fund efforts to ensure the integrity of the midterm vote. Trump responded to Coates' words in a tweet defending his, quote, great meeting with Putin, saying the Russian hoax is getting in the way of improved relations. China is preparing retaliatory tariffs in the USA amounting to $60 billion. Trump is allegedly preparing tariffs on some $200 billion of Chinese goods. The two sides are apparently not in contact. Meanwhile, American prices on goods and agriculture are slowly rising. The judge overseeing the reunification of the 2,500 migrant children separated from their parents called Trump's lack of a plan unacceptable at this point. 572 children remain in government custody. The parents of 410 children are presumably deported as they are outside of the USA. And the NRA says in a lawsuit against New York State and its governor that the group is in financial jeopardy and may be unable to exist. The NRA claims the state of New York has been blacklisting the organization that results in the loss of insurance coverage. The NRA needs to, quote, hold rallies, conventions, and assemblies. The association also overspent by $46 million in 2016. They, of course, are being investigated for illegally funneling money from Russia to Trump's campaign. New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo responded tersely, quote, if I had to put the NRA out of business, I would have done it 20 years ago. Day 562, August 4th. Trump denied a report that he left Queen Elizabeth II waiting during his England visit. Trump called the reports fake, fake, disgusting news. Instead, he claimed the Queen was late and that he arrived a little early and was waiting because, hey, it's the Queen, right? In fact, the Queen was left waiting for 15 minutes for Trump and his wife. Trump also lashed out at LeBron James after the Lakers star criticized the president in an interview on CNN. James told Don Lemon that Trump was using sports to divide the country. Trump responded by saying LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. I like Mike. This was just the latest attack by Trump directed at prominent black people. His wife, Melania, later said in a statement that James was doing good community work and that she hoped to visit his new school in Akron, Ohio. Trump Jr. claimed the Democratic Party looks, quote, awfully similar to the Nazi Party in the 1930s. Said Trump Jr., when you actually look at that platform versus the platform on the modern left, you say, wait a minute, those two are really heavily aligned. The 
claim is ridiculous on its face. Day 563, August 5th. Trump said on Sunday that a Trump Tower meeting between top campaign aides and a Kremlin-connected lawyer was designed, quote, to get information on an opponent. Trump made the comment in a tweet and claimed it was totally legal and of the sort done all the time in politics. The tweet read, quote, fake news reporting a complete fabrication that I'm concerned about the meeting my wonderful son Donald had in Trump Tower. This was a meeting to get information on an opponent, totally legal and done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. I did not know about it. That tweet actually opened up Trump to more legal jeopardy as it was an admission that Trump had not been forthright when Trump Jr. issued a statement in July 2017 saying the meeting had been primarily about the adoption of Russian children. It is also illegal for a campaign to accept help from a foreign individual or government. In addition, the New York Times reported that Mueller is all but certain to charge Trump with obstruction of justice. A confidential White House memo in Mueller's possession explicitly states Trump was told by Rins Priebus and Counsel Don McGahn that Michael Flynn was under criminal investigation right before Trump pressured James Comey to, quote, let Flynn go. Kristen Davis, the Manhattan madam, is scheduled to testify before Mueller's grand jury in Washington this week. Davis is an associate of former Trump advisor Roger Stone. She's being questioned about Russian collusion. Day 564, August 6th. Trump said he would restore sanctions on Iran that had been lifted under the 2015 nuclear accord at midnight. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the goal was to get Iran to change its ways. The move, however, deepens the divide with Europe, which says that the Iran nuclear agreement is critical to their national security. International inspectors have concluded that Iran is also complying with the accord. Documents from Trump's Voter Fraud Commission do not contain evidence of widespread voter fraud. A panel member, the Maine Secretary of State Matt Dunlap, sued to review the documents, which were never made public. Dunlap also said the goal of the commission, quote, wasn't just a matter of investigating Trump's claims that three to five million people voted illegally. It seems to have been to validate those claims. The panel was disbanded in January. The White House claimed at the time that despite substantial evidence of voter fraud, the commission was shut down due to legal challenges from the states. Trump said Governor Jerry Brown and bad environmental laws were responsible for California's wildfires. Trump claimed that vast amounts of water, which can be used for fires, are being foolishly diverted into the Pacific Ocean. This is false. He is correct, however, that bad environmental laws, such as greenhouse gas emission controls, are responsible for California wildfires. The fated action movie star Steven Seagal was appointed by Russia as a special representative to improve relations between the United States and Russia. And no, we're not making this up. Seagal became a Russian citizen in 2016. The position is unpaid. Day 565, August 7th. An explosive and well-sourced report in Forbes magazine says that Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross stole some $120 million from his business partners. If even half those accusations against Ross are legitimate, Ross could rank among the biggest grifters in American history. Ross, who was also called a pathological liar in the report, had previously lied to Forbes magazine in an attempt to get onto their billionaire rankings. In a coordinated effort by big tech, Apple, Google, Facebook, and Spotify, among others, scrubbed their services of InfoWars' Alex Jones. Jones has previously used his right-wing site and podcast to peddle false information online, such as that the Sandy Hook school shooting was a hoax and that the Democrats run a global child sex ring. In a statement, Apple said, quote, Apple does not tolerate hate speech. The moves, however, raised First Amendment questions, and Jones responded by urging his listeners to buy water purifiers and foodstuffs to feed the gladiator within. Sales of Jones' app skyrocketed as well. Rick Gates testified that he and Paul Manafort committed crimes together and held 15 undisclosed foreign bank accounts. Gates testified he was instructed to do this by Manafort. 
Gates also admitted to a wide variety of crimes, including bank fraud, tax fraud, money laundering, lying, lying to federal authorities, lying at a court deposition, and stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Trump wants to make it harder for legal immigrants to become U.S. citizens. Trump's proposal, which would not require congressional approval, would prevent legal immigrants from obtaining citizenship or green cards if they've ever used a social program like the Affordable Care Act, CHIP, which is health insurance for children, or food stamps. 20 million immigrants could be affected. The EPA is allowing manufacturers to use asbestos to create new products. Asbestos-related deaths total nearly 40,000 annually, and asbestos remediation has become a massive public health concern. Russia is the world's largest exporter of asbestos. In gratitude for the rules change, manufacturers put Trump's face on the shrink wrap surrounding bales they sent into the United States. Day 566, August 8th. Labor won big last night in special elections where they rallied to nominate Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and turn back a right-to-work law in Missouri. Elections in Ohio and Kansas remain too close to call with a reliably red district close to flipping and a key Trump ally deadlocked in a gubernatorial race. Chris Kobach, who won Trump's discredited voter fraud panel, could upset incumbent Jeff Collier in Kansas, which many observers think would give Democrats a chance to flip that seat in November. 43% of Republicans think Trump should have the authority to close news outlets engaged in bad behavior. 48% say they believe the news media is the enemy of the American people. 79% say the mainstream media treats Trump unfairly. These are the Trump Diaries. Billings on Air spoke to Marxist economist Michael Roberts about the Great Recession and its aftershocks. Roberts discussed why so many mainstream economists got it wrong, what the current economy looks like, and how the Queen shaved the London School of Economics. Buildings on Air with Kiefer Dunn airs every first Saturday of the month at 2. So we are on the line with Michael. Michael, how are you doing? Good afternoon to you and good evening here in in the UK where uh, I, I'm looking forward to hearing about the air conditioning because we have <laughs> extreme temperatures across Europe and in the UK we're hitting uh, 85, 90 Fahrenheit at the moment every day, uh, which is, of course, if you can imagine an English summer, is pretty unusual. Yeah. So, we can know about aircon is suddenly on our screens. There we go. Yeah, and it's a scorcher here in Chicago. I'm, uh, of course, wearing my, my black pants and dark gray shirt, like a, like a good architect, but um, mostly for non-architect reasons, just because I, I don't like to have to separate out uh, my laundry. So. <laughs> like, like every other person in the arts, you just have one color and it's black exactly yeah, yeah exactly um but michael I'm, I'm super happy to have you on the show um I, you know I've, I've i've been an admirer of your your blog for for quite some time and i'm constantly sending out uh, articles um <laughs> to to <laughs> friends and, and comrades and being like check this out um I think, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you on the show to talk about the Great Recession. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of has its origins in the housing crisis. And I think architects in particular have uh, a lot of PTSD around the recession. It hit the building industry particularly hard. Um, and I think actually is, is a kind of underlying cause of a lot of sort of um, radical organizing we're seeing coming out of the profession at this present moment. Um, because everyone kind of has an awareness of the ways in which uh, capitalist economics and, and, and uh, structures and crises um, kind of uh, uh, impact 
impact everyone's day-to-day life. Um, I, but I, I also think um, that even though people have this kind of innate sense of uh, how they're getting screwed, for lack of a better word, um, you know, g- really getting into the sort of economic underpinnings uh, um, is, is really important. Um, and so I guess, like, like I told you, I, I think when I first asked you on the show, I usually set the table with a kind of big and unfair question <laughs> and see, see what we pick up and, and take the conversation from there. Um, so maybe you can start by kind of telling us about what the 2008 recession was, why we're still feeling the effects of it today, and what a kind of uh, Marxist lens of analysis uh, can tell us that um, a usual uh, economic lens cannot. Well, I think I'd start by saying, Kiefer, that um, the Great Recession, as it's called now, which was a big uh, collapse in production and investment and employment, and people lost their homes as well as their jobs, from the period of about 2008 to the middle of 2009, not just in the US of A, but across uh, Europe too. And, and it's probably, we call it the Great Recession because it was so global. Mm. Um, none of us are much of a light, anybody is alive in the, in the Great Depression of the 1930s. But, and that was great because it was very deep, but it wasn't as global as the Great Recession. Mm. That was really wide, covering just about every country, certainly the major ones across the world with, the same phenomenon of a collapse in production and investment and employment and jobs. But as you say, it, it, it started with a housing collapse in the US in 2008. So the first thing I would say is that the Great Recession isn't unique, I would argue, as a Marxist economist. There are regular and recurring crises or slumps in production and investment in capitalism. Capitalism is a system where we produce for profit not for what people need. That's a byproduct. Obviously, people need have to need things. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, companies would not be able to sell anything. But they won't sell you anything eventually if you don't if they don't make a profit out of it. It's a profit making system, a money making system, uh, with the the, pro- the byproduct of what you need perhaps coming to you, depending on how much money you've got. <laughs> uh, but that profit-making system doesn't work harmoniously. It doesn't work steadily and growing uh, contrary to the views of, of orthodox uh, mainstream economics. It grows in a series of booms and slumps, of cycles, if you like, in production and investment. And these recur, at least in the 20th, 20th century and now into the 21st century, normally around about eight to ten years in a cycle of boom and slump. And so... The Great Recession wasn't unique in that sense. What was different about it was it was hugely bigger than we've Mm. seen in previous slumps and since the 1930s and wider, as I say. And the reasons for that are are twofold. First of all, there's the underlying process under capitalism where profits begin to decline. Uh, Capitalists try really hard to exploit us, to screw as much profit out of us as we can at work, keep our wages down. Uh, keep us in the position where they can get the maximum amount of profit out of the worker. But they find over a period of time, and it's a theoretical argument that Marxists explain, uh, as they expand and mechanize the economy more, they find that they cannot sustain the same level of profitability that they had. And there's a tendency to drive that profitability down over a period of time. And then they get into a problem of not being able to make a profit out of investment. We're not in that position here in 2018, mm. but we were as we approached 2005, 2006 
in the US and other countries, profitability was beginning to fall. In that period before, there'd been a massive expansion of credit and debt, uh, particularly for the first time in banks and uh, other financial houses, providing mortgages at 100%, no deposit, massive expansion of mortgage debt for consumers and householders. And as we know, the, the phrase was at the time of subprime mortgages, which were mortgages which were given to people who really weren't in the position to afford them if there was a sharp rise in interest rates. And these were some of our most vulnerable and people struggling to, to make a living. And they found that they could get a home for a brief period of time because they were told they didn't have to pay any interest at all and hardly any deposit. But then suddenly that situation changed as uh, incomes rose and these people started to lose their jobs. Then we got a collapse in that housing market, which, of course, uh, as you architects and, and in a building and structure in England, as you know, was most severe, a really yeah. severe slump in uh, housing. But that spread internationally because all those mortgages, which all those banks and other mortgage lenders in the U.S. had lent to householders, was redistributed through derivatives and other sorts of financial tricks to the rest of the world. People in banks in Europe were buying these mortgages in various packages. And so when these mortgages became were defaulted on, weren't able, weren't able to be delivered because of the decline in profitability in capitalism, this spread across Europe and elsewhere. And we had this domino effect across all these banks beginning to collapse. And probably one of the biggest financial crashes in the history of uh, modern economies took place in 2008-9. Almost 10 years ago, we had the Lehman's crash uh, and uh, many of the banks in Wall Street going to the wall. So this was a, a major development which makes it so different from previous slumps. And as you pointed out, Kiefer, it's now taken nearly 10 years to struggle out of that slump. And it really hasn't really come out of that. We could deal with that perhaps in, uh, in why that's the case when we look ahead. But that the Great Recession certainly was great, and it was a very deep recession and a very wide one. And that is uh, what makes it so interesting to understand. And because it was the kernel of the trigger of it was in housing and construction, that's also another thing, which perhaps I could also discuss why uh, the construction cycle came along in that way. Yeah, and, and I'm also curious, um, uh to, to know about why, why even we, we get told all of the time and if you if you look at the news um, everyone's like the economy is doing so well right <laughs> and uh, but but I think that most people haven't felt those effects and and people mm. feel still still feel uh, that wages are low and that um, there are all kinds of issues even as there are all kinds of positive headlines continuously about why things are so terrific um, so I'm curious if you can talk about that and, and and then yeah. it would be totally terrific to get into why exactly housing was yeah. the kind of thing um, and, and what's peculiar about the housing market um, that made it yeah. such a kind of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, flashpoint. Well, in the last 10 years, I, I described the last 10 years not as a normal recovery. Mm. Normally, in these booms and slumps that I've talked about, you have the slump, then the capitalists lay off a load of workers. Uh, they close down factories or they merge together and they create conditions for more profitable production. And then we get a new cycle upwards, which lasts say, eight to 10 years. And then we go down again. Mm. But this time, what we've seen is a very, very weak recovery. Mm. Uh, the recovery in the in the US has been about in real output each year for the nation, 
about 2% a year, which I can tell you is about less than two thirds of what the average used to be before 2008. It's a very weak recovery. Hmm. Uh, now, it's true that employment has come back after nearly 10 years and unemployment is now at a very low level. But I'm sure all your listeners know that the people who are getting these new jobs are not getting jobs which were the high paid jobs that perhaps they held before. Hmm. They're getting really low paid jobs in conditions where there aren't much skills and training prospects or promotion prospects. And maybe sometimes they're taking two of these jobs a day in order to uh, make ends meet. Mm -hmm. So we now have a higher employment economy, but a very low wage economy. There was a survey done by the World Economic Forum, which is a big international organization, when all the big wigs of the world turn up each year to uh, discuss things. And they, they have a research body and they produced a research which showed that the vast majority of the average person in Europe, in the US and in Asia, Japan and so on, have not returned to the level of incomes, the average people have not returned to the level of incomes they had in 2007 before this great crash. So for them, as you say, Kiefer, there's been no real improvement. Also, they said that people of my age, uh, what used to be called the baby boomers, the people who are now re retiring or retired, uh, their children will never have the same level of real incomes that uh, we've had in the golden age of when we were working back in the 60s and 70s and making our money. And they'll, they'll never return to that. This, this long depression has created conditions where things will never be quite as good as they were before. And that's a real damaging and uh, indictment, I think. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. Lumpen Week in Review is overseen by Logan Bay, produced and engineered by Jamie Trecker. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpen Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com. Yeah.